Welcome to the Addiction in My Family podcast, dedicated to educate parents and other family members about addiction, codependency, enabling, and recovery with your host, Donna Marston, author of Peeling the Onion and Just for Today. Welcome to Addiction in My Family. I'm your host, Donna M. Today I have George. He is an entrepreneur in recovery who will share his experience, faith, strength, and hope with you. So welcome, George. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So what I'd like to talk about today is uh, your journey through your addiction, just a, a little bit about your addiction. I think it's more important to show people that there is hope, especially for parents when they're feeling hopeless and helpless. So if you could talk a little bit about your journey, but more about how you uh, became a meditation and yoga teacher, uh, ended up at the Deepak Chopra Foundation, and that you're an entrepreneur in recovery, and the new business that you and uh, Sydney are doing called Nourish. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, first and foremost, super grateful uh, to be able to hopefully inspire some other people today to live their best life. For me, um, I really like that you focused on not going too much into what was actually going on during the addiction, because today I definitely try to live my life focused on the solution rather than the problem. With that said, you know, my journey in recovery really began way before the drugs and alcohol. You know, looking back on my life, I was always looking for an outside fix for an inside job. And what that looked like for me is I was in a place of what I know today as object referral, meaning my happiness was dependent upon people, places, and things and the objects of my perception. And I could see from a very early age that when I didn't have a lot of things that I considered fun to be going on, I would tell my mom I was bored. And what I know today is that I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I had no inner contentment. You know, I had no design for living and I just wasn't okay with myself by myself in my own skin. And, you know, I sought that happiness in people, places, and things. And what that looked like is at age 15 and, you know, up until this point, you know, I'm an individual in long-term recovery from heroin. Uh, My sobriety date is August 7th of 2011. So, you know, God willing, I'm coming up on seven years sober. And congratulations. Thank you. And at the age of 15, I was seeking my happiness again in a relationship. And I thought that this girl who was a senior at the time and I was a sophomore was going to be everything I ever wanted in my life and would really fill that that void that I felt inside. And, you know, I sought a relationship with this girl, even though the funny thing was she had a boyfriend at the time. I just didn't care. Like when I would see something that would get me out of myself, like a beautiful girl, it would just be the only thing that I would think about. It's just like my addiction. You know, I'd obsess about it. And I remember she was a sophomore. I mean, she was a senior. I was a sophomore and she happened to be taking my chemistry class. And I remember she wanted, I was like looking for any opportunity I could to really spend some time with this girl because I really thought she was going to fill that void that I felt inside. Again, I just, I had no source of inner contentment and I looked for that in people, places and things. And 
I remember she wanted to go to a Britney Spears concert and my sister had tickets and couldn't go. Uh, and so my mom offered me those tickets and I asked this girl, if she'd go with me. And she said, yes. And I thought it was going to be the best day of my life. Um, a couple days before that concert, she asked me if I'd ever try heroin for the first time. You know, I was 15 years old. I, all I had known about heroin up until that point was it was a horrible drug, you know, according to like the dare program and et cetera. And I got really scared at at first because I thought I was going to have to use a needle and I was deathly afraid of them. And I remember asking her and she said, no, you can just sniff it. And right away I was like, you can just sniff it. And this beautiful girl is doing it. Can't be that bad. Yeah, what a bonus, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't be that bad if she's doing it. I remember. And uh, yeah, I did heroin for the first time at age 15. And, and previous to that, I had drank a little bit. I had smoked a little marijuana, but when I picked up opiates for the first time, my life went from black and white to color. I've heard somebody who, who I admire say this. He said, it was the closest thing for me to a spiritual awakening that actually wasn't one. It a lot, It took away my fear. It took the knot out of my stomach, the stone out of my shoe, and it just made me feel comfortable in my skin for the first time. You know, it literally took my life from black and white to color, as I was saying. And I thought it was allowing me to be the person I thought you needed me to be to be okay. You know, I, I thought I needed to show up in a certain way for the world because I was so afraid of what other people thought about me. And for the first time when I started using drugs and alcohol, I felt content in my own skin. Like I could be that person I thought I always needed to be for you to like me. And with that said, you know, I know today what it means to be to have an addiction. And, you know, at some point, if you're if you're what I would call a real addict, you cross this line where you become different than the average temperate drinker or the average temperate user. And what that looks like for me is I can't put any drugs and alcohol into my system without losing control. And the reason is, is because I love that feeling produced by drugs and alcohol, even if it's an illusion, even if it's temporary, it was the first time I felt content in my own skin. So I ran with that. And usually what would happen is I'd drink and I'd drink and I'd use and I'd use and I'd go on the spree until something bad happened. And at that moment when something bad would happen as a result of my using, I'd swear it off forever. But what I know today is that the real problem isn't that I have this physical craving for drugs and alcohol or whatever I'm addicted to. It's that I have this obsession of the mind, this thought that tells me I can put my hand on the sto hot stove one more time and this time it's not going to burn me. And so without continuing to go into my drunk log and really to stay focused on the solution because I really like, again, what you brought up in the beginning, which is like for me, what I tell people is like, if you want to get sober, that's one thing. Thing. But I'm not trying to just teach you how to put down the drink and the drug. I'm trying to teach you how to live a life of freedom. And so to stay focused on that, you know, my life was one more attempt at drinking and using, followed by one more failure at drinking and using, followed by one more attempt at sobriety, followed by one more failure at sobriety over and over and over again. And I would try to get sober, but I didn't have the willingness to go to any lengths. And this time, actually, on August 6th of 2011, I took one sip of a drink after being 89 days sober because I was restless, irritable, and discontent. What I love to tell people is like, 
the problem isn't the addiction. It's that I seek a change in my emotional state and I don't know how to produce it from within. And so I reach for something outside of myself. And my problem was never getting sober. I got sober a million times because my life was a mess. Right. My problem was staying sober. Right. I yep. couldn't stay sober because I was discontent in my own skin after mm-hmm. 30, 60, 90 days. So at 89 days sober, I took one sip of a drink. And funny story, this girl I was at a free concert hands me the drink. I pretend to take a sip because I know I'm sober and I'm not supposed to be drinking, but I didn't have a toolkit to relieve me from that obsession to drink. So my mind said, pretend to take a sip. So I pretended and put the drink up to my lips, but didn't put it in my mouth. And then my ego, that fearful voice in our head, which is really the problem. And if we can get a set of tools that can help us to overcome that is what will really help us overcome drinking. That voice told me, she saw you take a fake sip. Now you got to take a real one. Wow. And I wow. Took- I took a real one and I instantly felt like I'd been drinking and using drugs for a year straight. I was in a hopeless state of mind and body and I was in that place where I was going to keep going on the way I was going until I died or I was going to get some help. And thank God I chose the latter. I actually called your son the next day, who's my best friend, who's helped me more than anybody become an entrepreneur in this journey to recovery. And I just said, I'm ready to do it somebody else's way. And that's been the biggest difference for me is I've been willing to take suggestions. And as far as the entrepreneurial thing goes, one of my favorite quotes is success leaves clues. And so what I've tried to do today in my recovery is find other people who have what I want and Mm -hmm. do what they do. One Mm -hmm. of them is your son. And the reason that journey with him is so powerful is because we used to use heroin together. He was the first person ever to stick a needle in my arm. Today, we're both multiple years sober. And I've seen him go from that hopeless state of mind and body to being an incredible entrepreneur. So it's made it more real for me. It's one thing to read about somebody who's an entrepreneur who I didn't know, but to see somebody who used to shoot heroin with me, who's now an incredible entrepreneur, it makes it real. It makes it seem, well, if he did it, why can't I do it? Right. And so what that looks like for me is going back a little bit. One of the times previously when I tried to get sober, I, I remember I was on an, on a 12 step camp out with some other people who were, you know, in this 12 step program that I was attending. And my mom had given me, cause my mom was into spirituality. I can see now that she planted the seed. As you mentioned, you know, I'm a certified meditation, yoga, and Ayurvedic lifestyle educator from Deepak Chopra center for wellbeing. And Deepak Chopra wrote a book actually called the seven spiritual laws of success. And my mom actually made me write a book report on that book once when I got suspended. And now I'm a certified seven spiritual laws of yoga teacher. So my mom planted the seed a long time ago. And I'm sure you did the same with your son because I know he was always into spirituality. It didn't stick in the beginning, but look at how into it is now. And right. I always know that you were into it. Right. And you know what's interesting, George? Your mother had called me back in the, you know, when you were, weren't doing well and we had a conversation and she turned me onto that book and so, PJ onto that book. And so that was our first introduction to Deepak Chopra. Yeah. And I remember my mom used to drive around with that book in the passenger seat of her car and I wanted nothing to do with it. I remember when I wrote the <laughs> book report, I went to the, the back of the book has, has like a one page kind of summary on how you practice each of those principles in your life. And I just read through those and wrote the book report. I wish I could get my hands on that thing to see what I wrote because this stuff is really what sets my soul on fire today. And one of the 
reasons I became an entrepreneur because I realized that what I had, I couldn't keep to myself. I had to share this with other people because it's often these things I believe that are the missing pieces in people's recovery. I actually just bought a website called missing piece, P I E C E meditation.com because I really believe it's meditation and these other spiritual tools that were laid at my feet that were the missing piece to take my life and are the missing piece to take other people's life to the next level. And I agree with you. I, I meditate every night. Now I probably, I do guided because that's what I love. And I usually find like, if there's something going on within me, I find something that resonates and I'll use that. But I, sure. but I started with, uh, cause I run parent support groups and many of them medicate. And sure. so we were talking about how do you sleep? And they were saying they don't. And if in order to sleep, they, they, they um, take sleeping pills. Sure. Two of the moms and one of them, and she's been doing this for years. I said to them just for today, don't take your meditate medication <laughs> and, and, and go to insighttimer.com. And I always tell them that you're on there, that you sure. have a whole series called Overcoming Adversity, right? I yeah, think Navigating that's Recovery Navigate. and Overcoming Adversity, which right, actually yeah. your son came up with the name for. Yeah. So you he have a whole me. series. So I turn people on to that. And so two of the mothers are no longer medicating when they go to bed at night. Mm -hmm. they, they put on headphones, they go to Insight Timer, they do a sleep meditation sure. or one of them, and they're sleeping through the night, which is huge. Yeah, I mean, one of meditation's biggest benefits is sleep. I mean, yeah. I remember my head was nonstop. When I hit the pillow, like I was just consumed with fear, doubt, worry, and insecurity. I've been meditating now on a daily basis, twice a day now for over six years. Wow. And when I hit the pillow at night, sometimes I try to keep my eyes open to think about something and I can't. Within <laughs> two minutes, I'm asleep. Right. One of the number one benefits yep. around meditation today, you know, one of the things meditation does is it returns your body to its baseline state known as homeostasis. Mm. This is the science behind why it helps you sleep, which is actually a self-repair. So anything out of balance starts to shift back into balance. And so if you're tired, your body, that's why people fall asleep during meditation. It's not bad if you fall asleep during meditation. It's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's your body restoring itself back to balance because often we don't even realize all the different ways stress has us out of balance. Stress, one of the leading contributors of illness, you know, when we experience stress, that fight flight response, mm -hmm. our body releases these stress chemicals known as adrenaline and noradrenaline. And these are actually, and this is one of the main things I'm teaching people these days, is that these chemicals that stress produces, those restless, irritable, and discontent feelings of stress, these are the chemicals that actually end up causing addiction because these stress chemicals actually end up leading to anxiety, insomnia, and addictions. In meditation, actually restores our body back to its baseline state and counterbalances those effects stress has on the body. And so when you start meditating, you're able to sleep a lot more easily and effortlessly. And you're not dependent, like you said, on mm -hmm. things like medicine. And that's a whole nother conversation for yeah, right? about yeah. how many people in this world are dependent upon some, you know, pill, whatever it is, in order to be content in their own skin, even if it is doctor prescribed. I mean, there are people who need medicine. There's no doubt about that but there's so many people i think who are just you know taking two of these because it puts them at ease but it really doesn't heal the disease 
Well, you know, well, let me say this first. Six, sure. I, I started my um, parent support group, seven, it will be seven years in October. And so six years ago, I had the, um, the head of the um, pharmaceutical, can't think of the, um, the word that I want, but he, and he told me back then that 80% of Americans are on some sort of a medication, that we're the most highly medicated country mm. in the world. And I mean, they've got little kids on, yeah. on medications. You, you, no one's allowed to feel anything anymore. And, totally. and, and it's almost like we're becoming a zombie state. Totally. Well, right. It, you know, what's interesting is I was actually, you know, going back to the entrepreneurial story that I have in my addiction is when I was young, I was prescribed. I was diagnosed. My, my parents couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. They brought me to some sort of therapist. I don't even know who the person was. And the person said, he has ADHD. We need to get this kid on Adderall. So I ended up not taking the Adderall and selling it. But the funny thing is, is looking back on it, I was, I mean, sure, I'm not here to say whether or not anybody else in this world is. But for me, I can look back on my life and tell you with the utmost confidence today that I was never, never had ADHD. What I had was the inability to be content in my own skin. I was restless, irritable, and discontent, uneasy, never satisfied, and easily annoyed. And I didn't have any tools to help me find any inner contentment within myself. Mm -hmm. Today, I do. Mm -hmm. I have things like meditation. I have things like yoga. Mm -hmm. And these things have allowed me to redirect my search for peace from the outside outside in mm -hmm. today my favorite time of the day is sitting alone meditating for 30 minutes twice a day if i had adhd you know it wouldn't be that effortless and I know today it was just a matter of I just needed tools to be able to be at peace in my own skin. And it's interesting because the majority of people diagnosed with a substance use disorder were diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. And PJ was also diagnosed. And I remember um, trying the, the meds and I just always hated it. So I found this homeopathic chiropractor. So he started working on their nervous system. Sure. And he said, you know, a lot of these kids are going to be suicidal by the time they're in their 20s and, and what a mess we're making and um you know it's unfortunate and he also said you know it's like psychiatrists were were um when when it, it like they broke down uh, mental illness sure. and 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 picked out ADD and ADHD and um you know all of a sudden everybody had it you go to the doctor you get a pill totally. and and you kids well PJ's a little bit older than you he's 35 you're what what are you 30 29 29 uh, so you know and i think that that's when it was becoming more prevalent around totally. the time PJ was in elementary school. Well, I think for me, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do today is help people, especially people who've never had like, you know, an addiction that's totally wreaked havoc upon their life. I'm trying to help them better understand addiction because I think a lot of people think that it's just the drugs and alcohol that are the problem. Right. And it's not so, that. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, that's the symptom. The real problem is that you're feeling the way that you're feeling. And those feelings are driving you back to drinking because you're discontent in your own skin. And right. I think that's super important for people to know because I think a lot of people say like, 
oh, well, my child put down the drugs and alcohol, but now he's super depressed and filled with anxiety. And so I got to get him on all this different stuff. But the reality is, is like, if he wasn't depressed and he wasn't filled with anxiety, he wouldn't have been using in the first place. You know, I recently had somebody who I know who, you know, is an older gentleman who, you know, relapsed on crack cocaine for the hundredth time, however many times I get it. I relapsed on heroin a million times and he showed up to treatment and you know told them he was having dealing with severe depression and they acted like almost like it wasn't normal and he needed to get on antidepressant medicine right away that's you know once in a while that might be the case but if you're not depressed and you just got done smoking crack for the umpteenth time you're going to be like if you're not depressed there's an issue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well you know it's interesting because and i tell people this all the time first of all um, not to put down the medical community however I do know a woman who is an addiction specialist. She's, she's a physician. And sure. I asked her, how many hours of addiction education do you have? And she said, less than four hours. They're taught pain management. So, and I tell parents all the time, because it drives me crazy when I hear oh, my son or daughter's in rehab and they found out they're bipolar, have anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Well, guess yeah. what? You just gave up your best friend and your lover. You're going to yeah. be depressed. You're going to have be feel a little anxious. You just yeah. given another pill to get rid of what you just um, got off of. And, and, it, and, and so here you're on the cycle. It's like a, um, the wheels, you know, that you just yeah, It's like the hamster wheel. Yeah. Right. The hamster wheel. And, and no one's getting better and well, teach them meditation, teach them spirituality, mm-hmm. you know, journaling, yeah, art therapy, it, do stuff that takes you outside of your, your addiction. Cause it's not about the drink of the drug. No. It's why it's peeling the onion. The name of my book mm. that you get to the root, right? You got to get to the, the interior of what is hurting you so bad that you have to self-medicate. A hundred percent. That's the key right there. Get to the interior. Exactly what you said. I'll quote you of what's hurting you so bad that you have to self-medicate. Right. Because the truth is, is I got sober a million times. Mm -hmm. There was one thing I never did when I got sober. I never got totally honest about my deep, dark secrets from the past. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've ever been totally honest about all my thoughts, all the stuff in the past, all my stuff that I said I'd take to the grave with me and never share with anybody. And it's the first time I've ever put together more than a year sober. Mm. I mean, there's probably no coincidence there. Right. Thank God. I made it out of, you know, the beginning stage of of my addiction without being put on all these medications because today I'm as happy as can be in my own skin. Right. Because looking back on my life, I could have easily been diagnosed as bipolar. I could have easily been diagnosed as depressed and anxiety because I was all of those things because I was always unable to be okay in my own skin. And that's why I used in the first place. And one of the things I always tell people is the freedom from feeling uneasy, never satisfied, and discontent that I sought in drugs and alcohol, I found in my meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not just meditation, though. It's, you know, that's one of the many tools in the spiritual toolkit that was laid at my feet. And it's all about having those tools that can change your state, I like to say. We're always, you know, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, if you're looking for a great resource, she's an amazing spiritual teacher. Her name's Marian Williamson. She talks about how everything's either fear or love, Mm -hmm. and then everything else is just an aspect of that. And the reality is, is 
that I'm always in a state, whether it's gratitude, joy, love, fear, resentment, guilt, shame. And today I have a set of tools where I can change my state. And one of my other favorite spiritual teachers who's in recovery, another great resource for people in recovery or parents in recovery who might just be able to understand the addiction a little bit better is a woman named Gabrielle Bernstein. Mm -hmm. And she says, the spiritual path is not about being the kindest person. It's not about being the best meditator. It's not about being the most enlightened. It's about how quick when you fall off the wagon, do you get back on? And the thing about these tools is that they keep allowing you to redirect your search for peace from the outside in and come back to a place where you're at the end of the day, okay in your own skin and are mm-hmm. able to stay sober. Mm-hmm. And that's what these tools will do for you. My life isn't all puppy dogs and rainbows. <laughs> you know, I have my ups and downs, but at the end of the day, because I have a set of tools today, I'm okay at the end of the day and I'm able to stay sober. And I Mm -hmm. think the last thing I just want to say about this point is that, you know, you said, you know, I'm not trying to put down the medical community. And I really think it's kind of like what the conversation we're having right now is kind of like racism. It's a, it's a necessary conversation. Like it's an uncomfortable conversation, Mm -hmm. but it's a necessary conversation. It's important for people to know that in medical school, a lot of times they're only getting a week or a month of education Mm -hmm. around addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, or four hours or whatever it is. There needs to be more education. And that's not putting anybody down. That's just a fact that if we don't do more about what's going on right now, there's going to become a way bigger problem. And we could be nearly out of this world in 200 years. My teacher, Deepak Chopra says that since we're all connected at a non-local level, meaning the same love, truth, and beauty that is within me is within everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that the same source that extended itself here into that which is me extended itself here into that which is everybody else. Mm -hmm. And since we're all connected at that non-local level, when enough of us take that quantum leap in consciousness, and really that's what it is because, you know, what I learned in recovery is that like the same person who seems doomed to the outsider, you know, the same alcoholic and drug addict who looks like they're going to end up dying hopeless. Mm. Once they're able to pick up that spiritual tool laid at their feet, they're easily able to control their desire for drinking and using. And so when enough of us take that quantum leap in consciousness that comes, he says, from picking up this spiritual toolkit that's been laid at our feet, then we'll create a more happy, just, sustainable, loving, peaceful, healthy world. And we'll create a global shift and we can heal addiction as a whole. But it's going to come not from one of us doing the right thing, but from all of us having the conversation that we're having right now about what needs to be changed in the field of addiction and how we as a whole, not just me and you, you being a parent and me being somebody who suffered from addiction, but us as a whole, meaning the medical fraternity and the government agencies and all of these people, how can we all work together to create this more happy, just, sustainable, loving, peaceful, healthy world? Because that's going to create a world where kids for the most part don't end up feeling so horrible like like you mentioned earlier about themselves where they feel like they need to self-medicate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and being a person who doesn't have the ism the you know um the addictive brain everybody in society goes through stuff right we oh. we, we all have insecurities it's just that if when i i don't drink but when i did 
I didn't like the way it made me feel. So to me, I I just didn't get into it. Um, But there was peer pressure as a kid. I would drink because that's what everybody was doing. So you want to be, you want to be cool. You want to be in with everybody. (laughs) But, you know, and and from, you know, so I was fine with it because I I didn't like it. So it was easy for me to just like, you know, I don't want that in my life anymore. It's it's expensive, number one. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think it's important for people to know, and I hear this a lot with parents. They say, well, it's not my problem. It's my kid's problem. Well, we are part of the problem and we can be part of the solution. I was part of the problem when my son was in active addiction because I kept trying to rescue him and I didn't know anything about drugs and alcohol, the effects of it or alcoholism, you know, um, what it does to the brain, the body. All I knew was I heard get him to meetings and get him to treatment and, you know, one and done type of thing. And so I tried to rescue him for many, many years, didn't work out real well. And two years before my son found his sobriety, I had hit my wall. I hit my enough. I couldn't breathe. I was drowning. Back then, you didn't talk about it. And so I went on this journey, like you, of spirituality. I, I, I went to Al-Anon. They pissed me off because, <laughs> you know, and in, in back then I could justify, my son is going through a phase. He's not like your kids. Just give me the answer <laughs> so I can go home and save him. <laughs> so my ego was in the way, right? Didn't know I had an ego. And so I started doing uh, things with um, Eckhart Tool and Oprah. I did these online courses about the pain body, learning about my ego. I've learned to evolve me. I've been in the fetal position with my pain of we're in mourning. When our kids are in active addiction, we're in mourning. We're mourning the loss of our beautiful kids. We, we don't know how to get them. So my point is we have to do the same work that you guys do, you know, and if we don't work on ourselves then we become toxic, I was toxic to PJ's recovery because every time he came out sober, came home sober from a rehab, I would remind him of how much money he owed us. I would remind him of, of all the crap. Yeah. So that reminds me, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about nourish and so Nourish is a company that me and my girlfriend started yep. called you know, called Nourish. And the idea is that we wanted to provide a platform for people to nourish themselves because the idea behind our business is that if you don't take time to nourish yourself, you can't nourish anybody else. And, you know, what we do is we create these three-hour pop-up events where we provide a platform for people to nourish their body, mind, and soul through the practices of yoga, meditation, and a three-course meal over which we talk about how healthy living and spirituality. And the reason I brought that up is because we're having an event actually up in New Hampshire, in Nashua, New Hampshire, at the old historical library up there on July 21st. And actually your son's speaking at it uh, just quickly before the dinner starts because we theme each of our events around the topic. And the topic that we're theming the one in New Hampshire around is Dharma. And Dharma is a Sanskrit word and Sanskrit's just an ancient language that means purpose in life. And Dharma teaches us to shift. And this goes back to your, your conversation around like, we can't just sit around and say, well, it's not my problem. Right. Because Dharma teaches us that what we need to learn how to do to practice this principle of Dharma, which is also in Deepak Chopra's book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, what we also need, what we need to do is learn how to shift our thinking from what's in it for me to how can I help. 
because the reality is, is again, you know, I keep bringing this up because this is also such a side note, big problem going on in our world right now is this topic around, you know, race and equality. And the idea is like, until all of us are free, I believe none of us are free. And I think for anybody to say, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, I think it's selfish for you to say, well, it's not my problem. Now I'm not telling people they need to get involved to the point where it emotionally drains them. But to say, I just don't care is to say, you don't care about somebody who's an extension of, of really the truth of who you are. And so I think it's so important for us to, you know, maybe we can't do something to change the person because in my experience, the only way I was going to change is when I became ready to do that. Right. However, I think it's important to see, you know, where can I even just add value to the addiction community as a whole? Where can I, you know, give back to make sure that another kid doesn't have to experience what my kid's going through right now? You know, where can I just maybe stop enabling my kid to be able to keep doing what he's doing? I always tell people one of the greatest things my mom did, she never gave up on me. However, when she moved away, she stopped enabling me. Right. And I think there's a big difference there. I think it's important. If you say, you know what, screw this kid. For me, it was really just knowing that like, because my mom meant more than anything in the world to me that, you know, she loved me and I didn't want to let her down. That kind of kept bringing me back into attempts at trying to get sober. But there's a difference between loving your son and being there. If he says, I'd like a ride to a 12 step meeting, or can my, can I use your house? Cause a meditation guy is going to try to help me teach me meditation so I can overcome my addiction. That's one thing. But like, if you're paying for your son to do things, if you're giving him money, if you're helping him get out of bad situations, that's enabling. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's important that we see, we start asking ourselves, not just when it comes to an addiction, but in general, because so much of the problems we're faced with in this world, including addiction, stem from selfishness and self-centeredness. And so I think it's important going back to your original point to be able to not just tell ourselves, hey, look, you know what? It's not my problem. I'm over it. But instead ask ourselves, what can I do to help? You know, how can I shift for what's from what's in it for me to how can I help? Well, and I think it comes down to um, acceptance and, you know, so and surrendering, but some people don't understand the word surrender. So it's really making peace with. So I had to make peace with my son is an active addiction. I don't like it. It is what it is. I'm drowning. And if I don't get healthy, I'm dying here. And so um, I did a lot of work on myself. I work on myself all the time. My son's been, I've been working on myself for 12 years, two years before Peter got uh, sober. And actually I just, um, and I, and I did this for two reasons. I, you know, there's things I get stuck with on um, and some insecurities and and so I heard about this woman who did, does this thing called biofield tuning therapy. And it's with these, uh, they look like big forks and it's vibration. And it's interesting because people who have a substance use disorder, what triggers it typically is a trauma in their lives. Totally. Or they've well, used a chem- the biggest 
things I was holding on to that have helped me now that I've let go of them feel free more than ever were those traumas in my past that I told myself I'd never tell anybody. And they were traumas even not only that had happened to me, but things that I had caused other people. But right. the reality is, is it was a form of trauma. Right. And like you said, those are really a big leading contributor to addiction. And that's why people medicate, whether they have a substance oh. use disorder or not. But it's trauma. If someone uses a chemical and it could be prescribed to them long enough, they don't know that they have an addictive brain. Mm. It wakes up the addiction and it's off and running because most people who um you know like you or my son you started off experimenting as teenagers yeah most, most people don't start shoot shooting heroin or smoking crack no it's it's <laughs> t- it's taking a sip of alcohol or smoking a joint or whatever we all do it or most of us but people who have a substance use disorder don't know they have a problem till their life has become unmanageable yeah. and why it, would we stop when there's still time i mean <laughs> It was, it was the first thing that made me feel content in my own skin. I get it now. I can see that it was an illusion. Right. However, it was the. It really felt in my mind like my life had went from black and white to color. Yeah. And so, why would I stop when that felt like the only thing that was allowing me to get away from that feeling of you know uneasiness and being never satisfied and discontent in my own skin? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, so this biofield tuning therapy, it helps people. It takes you through, it sounds weird, but you go through the birth canal. You don't really see yourself going through it, but as she's work, doing the, her work through the birth canal, because some people have a traumatic birth, and that could be that's something that ends up with a substance use disorder. Totally. And so for me, she took me, a little two-year-old girl showed up, a four-year-old girl showed up, and an eight-year-old girl showed up. And, and those were little traumas. And it's interesting because there were things in my life I never understood till I had this done. It was like, now it makes sense. So my point is doing energy work, I think is really important. Doing Reiki. I used to do Reiki with George to try to help him um, do do some healing. Those are those are great tools along with the meditation and yoga and any feel good thing. Yeah, well, any holistic based system of healing. You right. know, I think it's important. I teach something going back to my journey that we just spoke about in the beginning about being an entrepreneur. Like that all began because I tried meditating because my mom, again, had kind of planted the seed had put some guided meditations on like a Walkman or like a CD player. I listened to one of them. And for the first time, I felt content in my own skin. I wasn't even meditating, looking back on it, knowing what I know now. Mm-hmm. I was like breathing and saying affirmations, but I felt good in my own skin. And then I remember I got that feeling kind of stuck with me because there wasn't really anything up until that point that allowed me to not be like full of fear worrying about the past or anticipating about the future, you know, without drugs and alcohol, there was nothing that really made me not be worried or anticipating about the future. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that feeling stuck with me. And this time when I got sober, I remember that feeling subconsciously was reminded, it came, you know, I was reminded of that feeling. And I remember I did a 21 day guided meditation series by Deepak Chopra and Oprah. And I remember it was like, I was really feeling okay in my own skin. I really felt that source of inner contentment. And one of the things I want to mention is recently I was listening to a 
a podcast with a meditation teacher named Bob Roth. And he was talking about how our minds are like an ocean. And imagine if you have an ocean with a lot of big waves on them with on it. And the thing about the ocean is if you did a cross section of that ocean, you would see at the thousand foot depth part of that ocean at the very bottom, it would be calm and it would be quiet. Even if on the surface, it's super choppy and it's like the perfect storm. Mm. And so what he says is that that's like our minds. We have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, but underneath that there's stillness and silence. And one of my favorite quotes by Deepak Chopra is meditation is not about stopping our thoughts. It's about accessing the silence that's underneath our thoughts, but is usually overshadowed by all of our mind's activity. And so there is this inner contentment that's underneath all my discontentment. And when I started meditating this time in recovery, I started to connect to that and I felt at peace in my own skin. And as I mentioned earlier, that freedom from feeling uneasy, never satisfied and discontent that I sought in drugs and alcohol. I found through my meditation practice. And so I called the Chopra Center and just trusted that everything I'd learned up until this point might work. I had no other options. And I just knew that like if I was going to live my best life, I needed more of this thing that was going to, that was helping me feel okay in my own skin. And so I called the Chopra Center, told them exactly what I'm telling you now. And they were like, we got to help you get out here. They got me on a payment plan. I'm, I'm eternally grateful for them. And they got me out there. Since then, they've given me scholarships for all of their teacher trainings. And that's really what began my journey as an entrepreneur because I knew that what I learned, I couldn't keep to myself. You know, I, as I mentioned, I think earlier, I bought a website called missingpeacemeditation.com. And then that's because meditation and these other tools that I teach are really, I believe, the missing piece, especially if you're, you're in sobriety, to take your life to the next level. Mm-hmm. And one of those tools that I learned to teach at the Chopra Center and that I teach as an entrepreneur in recovery, because that's really what it's about. If I didn't put the down the drink and the drug to be miserable, I put down the drink and the drug now to live my best life. You know, an analogy I heard, and it's funny because I actually eat plant-based now, but it's like, if you take a, a, a dog and you take the bone away from a dog, you have to replace it with something or that dog is going to be more upset than ever. You know, and you got to replace it with something better, which is usually a steak, you know? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is when I got on this, this journey, I didn't get sober to then like, you know, to be miserable every day, because if I'm miserable for 30, 60 or 90 days, eventually I'll find myself picking up my addiction again, right. whatever that is. That's right. So the thing is, is when I got sober, I not only stopped using and drinking, I started following, as I think I mentioned earlier, I started following other people who had what I want. You know, Mm -hmm. one of them being your son, another person being Deepak Chopra, another person being Eckhart Tolle, you mentioned him, other people being just other people I knew in recovery who had what I want. And so I started doing what they did, successful entrepreneurs. And so now my life's eternally better than I could have ever imagined because I'm not just not using anymore. Instead, I'm living my dreams. I'm Mm -hmm. living my best life like the most incredible things have happened to me on this journey in recovery when we get off this podcast i'm headed to rhode island to go look at two family homes to buy to start i'm going to be buying properties and leasing out properties and having renters like that's insane and (laughs) one of the things is is on this journey to becoming an entrepreneur i became an ayurvedic lifestyle educator and ayurveda and i'm tying this back into our original point which is you know you talked about the energy healing and, and the importance of that 
that along with meditation. And, and the point that I want to make is that Ayurveda is a 5,000-year-old healthcare system from India. And the difference between Ayurveda and Western medicine is that Western medicine looks at health as the absence of a definable disease. But just because I don't have cancer, I don't have lupus, doesn't mean I'm healthy. And just because I've stopped drinking doesn't mean I'm sober. And Ayurveda teaches us that health is really physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. And when that's achieved, then we achieve perfect health. And the reason I bring that up is because going back to the energy healing, Ayurveda teaches us that whatever we take in through our five senses has either a negative or positive effect on us. That's not just through the sense of taste, but through all the five senses, Mm -hmm. through the sense of sight, through the sense of sound, through the sense of smell through the sense of taste through the sense of touch everything we're taking into our senses has a negative or positive effect on us so what for me recovery is all about today and why energy healing can be so effective is because it's about just cultivating a repertoire of spiritual tools that can enable you to change your state to shift to to notice to get you when you've detoured into fear and shift you back into love mm, awesome so i think we're about ready to wrap this up and um can you tell how people can get in touch with you a little about your nourish and your yoga that'd be great yeah thank you first of all so much uh for having me on it's been a pleasure yeah for people who don't know you know donna knew me when i was in a hopeless state of mind and body and was always you know not enabling me but trying to encourage me to do the right thing and i wasn't ready at that time but it's crazy how life comes full circle and i'm super grateful you know i definitely want to let everybody know you know i'm super grateful for the work that donna's doing in the world and it's a family disease and and just like we need sponsors people you know families need people like donna who can help them so thank thank you you. thank you you know with that said to get in touch yeah i have uh i have my website which is either missingpeacemeditation.com that's p-i-e-c-e or george s peterson.com actually missingpeacemeditation.com will lead you to george s peterson.com and on there you can read you know i have uh two meditation courses one is a in-depth four session advanced meditation course where i teach people how to become a self-sufficient meditator and it's more of a householder approach not a monastic approach so i'm not going to require you to sit indian style with your with your back perfectly straight um i'm going to advise you to sit comfortably and i'm going to teach you an easy and effortless approach that uh thoughts are not an obstacle to being successful at you know i think one of the things i want to mention real quick is that one of the biggest misconceptions around meditation if i can leave if i can leave your listeners with anything is that in order to have a successful meditation, people think that they need to stop their thoughts. That's actually incorrect. Thoughts are a part of the process and are actually the mechanics of stress releasing from the body. You talked about peeling the onion. That's Donna's book. And what meditation does is all those thoughts that come to the surface are allowing you to peel away the onion. And so if you just keep going back to the object of your attention in your meditation, whether that's the breath or a mantra, even if you're having thoughts, that's okay. They're coming to the surface and you're peeling them away so you can get rid of all those things that have built up that are probably going to drive you back to whatever your addiction is. Mm-hmm. And so... You can check out my course. That's an in-depth four-session course as well as I just created a new course that's a meditation made simple course. And and in it, you're just going to learn a basic approach with all the basic principles to meditation just so you can begin your daily meditation practice in an easy and effortless way. On there too, I also have an Ayurvedic course. 
you know, where I teach people and give people really a personalized approach to health so they can create that, what I talked about, physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual well-being. You can read more about meditation in my courses and Ayurveda on there. You know, my yoga courses, I, you know, I teach at New England Recovery and Wellness, which is a recovery center up in Concord, New Hampshire, meditation and yoga there. So there's a section on my website that talks about the services I can provide for people um, in the area of meditation and yoga who are in long-term recovery. And then lastly, you can go to nourishcapecod.com and um, check out Nourish, which is my pop-up event platform where we provide a platform for people to nourish their body, mind, and soul through yoga, meditation, and a three-course meal. And as I mentioned, because I know you probably have a lot of listeners up in New Hampshire, we have an event in Nashua, New Hampshire from 4 to 7 on July 21st. We'd love for you guys to check that out. We'll be talking all about Dharma and connecting with those spiritual tools of yoga, meditation, and healthy living. And uh, yeah, email me too, george at georgespeterson.com. Any questions about meditation or recovery, you know, any questions I'd be happy to answer. I'd love to, you know, help anybody I can who's in recovery, any parents I can who have children in recovery and talk about anything related to meditation. So please reach out. Thank you. And so uh, I just want to make a point that George started using at what, 15? And here you are at 29 years old, sober, coming on seven years. And this is what recovery looks like. And I think it's important for parents to understand that people can and do recover. And George is a great role model of what recovery looks like. Uh, There's a group of guys, um, my son included, and they're all entrepreneurs who challenge each other Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Your son's the number one person who holds me accountable. I text him my goals every day and whether or not I completed them. And that's helped take my life and my entrepreneurship in recovery. And also his friend, Jesse. Jesse Harless, who's my life coach, you know, nothing to do with recovery, just, you know, my coach to take my business and my life to to the next level. And both of them, they pushed me because I saw when they were hopeless and I see what their life's like today. They pushed me to the next level. Right. And they're both very successful. and, and, uh, And Jesse has a business called Entrepreneurs in Recovery. So these guys are doing great things. So uh, thank you, George. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all the listeners for joining me today. If you're a parent who feels like you're drowning, feel free to contact me at DonnaForSupport.com and let me help you navigate through your child's substance use disorder. So until next time, may your faith and strength heal your heart. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support the Addiction in My Family podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. If you are in need of support, Donna offers private coaching sessions and an online membership page for parents who are emotionally bankrupt. For more information, visit www.donnaforsupport.com.